to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with Chris Moss and Jake Peach. Thank you for stopping by and getting involved with the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram. In this episode, we're going to dissect a thrilling first race in Bahrain, which gave us the battle we'd all been craving for years as fans between Hamilton and Verstappen. And we'll also have our first guest on Around the Outside, looking at the commitment it takes to be an F1 super fan. We'll chat to our guest in a short while, but first, let's look back on a sensational season opener. Well, we've been waiting just over 100 days since the end of the last season and the 2021 Formula One Championship finally kicked off in Bahrain last weekend. And what a first race it was, Chris. Not a classic, but not as bad as season openers go. It's like you said earlier, it is everything F1 fans have wanted. They wanted to see the battles between a very fast Red Bull in Verstappen and obviously Lewis Hamilton. And we had it the entire race, constantly battling, early pit stops. You know, it it gave us everything we wanted. And, you know, the end result is seven tenths of a second between them. Yeah, which it, uh, the whole thing about track limits, Hamilton using too much at turn four, and there's been rumours this week that he gained sort of five seconds from all of that. And if you kind of take that away from him, then Verstappen would have been ahead of him. But um, it was it was a lot of controversy in the race as well surrounding that track limits, wasn't there? Uh, yeah, there was. But you know, the FIA have come out and defended what happened throughout the race. They they said that. You know, they haven't changed anything over the weekend. And, you know, you, you have to, you know, listen to what they've got to say that at the end of the day, they are, you know, the referees of the sport. They're the ones that make the final decisions. And mm. they said that, you know, nothing's uh, gone on about it. Then, you know, they, they, you have to listen to them. I mean, it's not the first time Verstappen's had trouble with uh, track limits either. I mean, back in 2018 at the USA Grand Prix, you know, he got five second penalty for mm-hmm. overtaking Kimi by doing what he did to Lewis. This time, obviously, give the position back, which he didn't do in USA. But, mm. you know, I think someone recorded something like 29 times over the 56 laps. <laughs> uh, Lewis went wide at turn four. Just mm. a, a mad amount, like, yeah. And it was clearly, like, obviously, they, they thought that that was part of the track. Obviously, it's past the white line, but they, they kind of like, yeah, you can go off it and, and use that a little bit. But um, the 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 thing the thing about it was that Hamilton wasn't overtaking anyone so when it did come to that that moment where Verstappen was overtaking Hamilton by going off of the track that's when it kind of becomes a bit of a different ball game yeah that that's that's when the stewards get involved i mean i think they said something along the lines of they weren't particularly going to monitor it in the race i think they did after Teams kept te- saying that Hamilton was going out there, yeah. say up to twenty nine. Twenty nine times. times. I think he did get a warning for that, but you know he wasn't overtaking anyone that, out of any of them twenty nine times. Max did it once, overtook somebody, and unfortunately for him, the rules are you can't overtake somebody while going off the track. You know, yeah. so and 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 arguably maybe if it was for P fifteen, it might not be as much of a problem, but because it was for P one, perhaps. Obviously, the the spotlight's on them, and it matters a lot more. 
Oh, I don't know about that. I think if you if you're fighting for a position and if you do something, whether you're in nineteenth place or whether you're in first, if, if you get caught doing something that you're not supposed to do, the, the stewards will look. Whether it be in the race or at the end of the race, they, they'll still have a mm-hmm. look. Um, but I think because it was such a you know first race of the season, we finally get this battle. It was very much heat of the moment mm. stuff between them. Yeah, no, no, that's fair enough. Um, and if well, to be fair, you know, if we put all of that like aside in the race and and um, what happened, the incidents in the race and how it unfolded, if you look at the raw pace of the Mercedes versus Red Bull, Red Bull do seem to have the upper hand, don't they? Verstappen really seems to be in tune with that RB16B, and he's going to give Hamilton such a run for his money this season. We're only one race in. Yeah, it's it's looking to be an exciting season, you know seven years Mercedes they, they've not had the fastest car in all them seven years Ferrari definitely sort of 2017 2018 had a had a very mm. quick car but I think this is probably the closest Mercedes are going to have to fight till the end of the season for that Constructors Championship and, you know I think Hamilton Verstappen you know we, we saw reliability with Perez and you know even Max was saying he was having uh, difficulties mm. So Red Bull compared to the Mercedes in testing are starting to have issues in their race. So, you know, reliability could be a major part of this season already after one race. Yeah, it's crazy to think that considering like we're at the end of an era and people think that things are ironed out, but obviously cars can go wrong at any moment. Um, But yeah, it will be very exciting to see. I think it's going to be a very... Hotly contested season, as I say, we're only one race in. Um, and talking about kind of a sort of uh, right reliability and um, you know on on the track and, and during the race, uh, Alonso was having problems with his brakes. But as it emerged, sort of two or three days later, it was one of the most bizarre reasons for Fernando Alonso retiring in his first race back. I mean, Fernando's had some very weird ways of retiring before. Um, <laughs> You know, even in testing, Augusta wind put him in the barrier, which eliminated him from the Australian <laughs> Grand Prix. But yeah, no, a sandwich bag deciding to cook up his brakes and uh, yeah, having to retire, you know, and ruining my prediction of him getting a podium anyway. <laughs> um, it's, it's quite odd. That I, like, I mean, that's it's completely random. One, you wouldn't really associate Bahrain with sandwich bags. Or, I don't know, like how it escaped from the padder, perhaps. Two, how on earth did it get into the brake duct? Was one of the mechanics having his lunch and he thought, oh, I'll put that there for later and put it in the bin or something? <laughs> what, what, like, one how... of the marshals. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I did, how does that happen? That's uh, I mean, crazy. You, you see, it, I mean, if it was like a, a, a visor strip, you can potentially understand it because obviously yeah. they have quite a few of them on their helmets. But yeah, I've never, I've never heard of a... <laughs> A sandwich bag before. It's almost like when you go to the beach and you get like a a, a McDonald's cup or something. You just like yeah. look into it. <laughs> it's 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 got to be in my time watching Formula One. That's got to be the most bizarre reason for a retirement. I definitely think it's up there. Oh, I'd have to, I'd have to give it a good thought about weird retirements, but yeah, it's definitely up there. Well, that's a bonus episode for another time. There we are. Look, <laughs> there's one we can delve into. Uh, if you're up for that, let us know on social media um, at the ATA Podcast uh, underscore Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, around the outside podcast. That'd be quite a cool episode, I think. Um, let's talk about Yuki Sonoda. I mean, we were raving about him 
during testing because he was, even though he was a compound higher than Verstappen, uh, he was within less than a tenth of a second of Verstappen's time in testing. Uh, and even though he had quite a difficult start, he kind of came through the field after that and really showed that he's taken no prisoners out on the track and almost kind of, uh, you know, there is a rookie element to him, but almost a mature sense of being a rookie. That's quite a juxtaposition, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah, I think Sonoda had a very solid first weekend in the sport. Um, obviously, practice, he was quite quick throughout the, the weekend. And then uh, Q, I think Q1, he was something like second or third on, yeah. uh, on fastest lap times, uh, only to have a, an issue in Q2 to where he, I think he qualified 13th. Yeah. Um, which wasn't, wasn't the best qualifying, but he did beat both the houses, so he was the fastest rookie on the grid. And um, and yeah, he had a solid race. And so I think it's the first time since 2014 with Stoffel van Dorn that a rookie has scored points on debut. Yeah, I mean, he's just it just something something about his style, like his raw pace as well, like to literally get in a car from the off and hit the ground running. Um, he seems very exciting, and very promising. He's the first uh, Japanese driver to get uh, points since Kamui Kobayashi as well. And we know how talented he was in the Sauber at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Kirk Kobayashi, he just, oh, he absolutely did things that you wouldn't even think of. Yeah. I remember <laughs> seeing the battles he had with Jensen Button in 2009. You know, Button was fighting for the championship in Brazil. And Kobayashi was just constantly getting back past him, holding him up. <laughs> please, can you I know? just win the title? Please, <laughs> get out of my way. But, say, I, I heard... Uh, I heard a little snippet of Kobayashi talking about that race and he was saying that, you know, Jensen was fighting for the championship, but I'm fighting for my career. And, mm. you know, Sonoda's first race, but it's very much the same philosophy. You know, mm. Red Bull are very ruthless with how yeah. they treat their drivers. You know, every race could potentially be a career-ending race for any of them. You know, so he's got to fight as hard as he can to keep his drive. Mm. But also, he, he'd want to be up in that Red Bull seat at some point. Yeah. You know, and, you know, he did an absolutely incredible move on Fernando into turn one. Mm. Fernando being his boyhood hero, <laughs> you know, and he said, oh, I chucked it down there like a rookie, but I had so much trust in Fernando that I knew I could do it. <laughs> yeah, which is, again, and a crazy juxtaposition, but, um, you know, he, he did it. He, he put his money where his mouth was. And, um, of course, now, um, obviously, we know Gasly's, sort of highly regarded in the last year or so with his performances and um, how he's been doing. But Sonoda will be looking equally uh, as Gasly will be looking to, they'll both be looking to suppress each other as much as they can because they're, they're teammates at the end of the day and they both want that second Red Bull seat, don't they? Absolutely. And say it, was, it wasn't exactly the greatest of weekends for Pierre. Did very well in qualifying to get into Q3, but he did, um, yeah, he had a bit of a boo-boo after that safety car, uh, mm. losing his front wing. Yeah, so no, it was. Uh, I'm sure he'll come back fighting next week. And he says Imola is one of his favourite tracks, so that'll be very, very interesting to see. Um, do we not bother? That's the wrong word, but do we spend too much time talking about Mazepin and what happened? Um, well, I think we should talk about it the same amount of time he spent on the track. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you got, have you got a stopwatch? Hang on. Uh, uh, I think that's time off already. Yeah, that's it's time off. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, okay, moving not, on. Not a great yeah. race for him, not at all. <laughs> uh, no, but all jokes aside, like of course, um, 
maybe it, 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 we forget sometimes, you know, in all those Sonodas climatized to the car, well, the Alpha Tauri, some other drivers take a little bit longer and the Haas isn't the strongest car on the grid. So it might be a bit more of a, uh, a, a, a wrestle to get your head round. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, after the safety car that Mazepin had on lap one, Schumacher then uh, had a spin at turn four. Mm. And he said uh, in the aftermath that, you know, he had cold tyres from the safety car. Yeah. And he's already said, that's one thing I'm never going to do again. Uh, I'm going to make sure I warm my tyres up and he's going to learn from that mistake. And, you know, as rookie drivers, and the same goes for Mazepin, you're not going to make the same mistakes over and over again. You're going to learn from them. Mm. So it's better to get your mistakes out early on and then, you know, towards the end of the season, fight for potential points. Then, mm. you know, get a point in your first race and then retire for the remaining 22. Well, we very, we very much hope that's the case and it doesn't keep happening because, yeah, they'd be embarrassing. You know, they've taken a risk with going with two rookie drivers, but there's sort of money involved in that as well, isn't there? Of course, um, uh, new sponsors come in that wanted a German driver. Um, as we've seen on Drive to Survive series, a little spoiler there, should have said. Um, but as well with Mazepin, of course, his his father is very, very, very rich and has brought well-needed money to the Haas team to stick around the sport. So, yeah, as always, it's a bit of a double-edged sword with that kind of scenario. But um, hopefully they can deliver on the track very, very soon. And then moving on rather to the other end of the scale, much of a veteran of Formula One, Sebastian Vettel, joined up with Stroller, uh, Aston Martin. Um, Of course, in our predictions episode, I was very hopeful about their first race. I wasn't I? I was predicting they're going to come second in this championship this year. And, um, well, Stroll managed to stay quite up in the midfield for a large majority of the race. But for Vettel bit of a different story not the greatest race he'll want to remember anytime soon no uh it was a very difficult weekend all around uh for sebastian obviously getting knocked out in q1 as it was to then be put to the back of the grid because of uh ignoring double waved yellows to then you know going into the back of the alpine of ocon Mm. And yeah, he, he ended up getting five penalty points on his license, which is more than what Aston Martin scored in race points. Yeah, because he also ignored the yellow flags, didn't he? In yeah. um, in qualifying, I believe. Um, so again, that, that didn't help his uh, weekend at all. So just, yeah, sort of one thing after the other. Um, I won't say too much on this now, obviously, because it's very, very early on and still like learning a new team. But I think people certainly have in the back of their minds that they're really sort of, looking at Vettel very closely this year aren't they and if he doesn't find that form that we all know from his Red Bull days then it kind of questions his you know ability like now of course he had it with the four back-to-back titles of course you four-time world champion that speaks for itself but it seems to have like lost his touch a little I bit think, but you know it's one race in you know so I, th- I think sometimes you know when you're in a bit of a rut like Sebastian is you know, it can be very hard to get out of it. And mm. sometimes all you need is just one good result. And then, you know, your luck changes. You know, you start looking ahead more. You you know, you look forward to things. You know, Sebastian had a very poor 2020 season. I think he got one podium, which was in Turkey. But overall, he did not enjoy racing last season at all. No. You know, he came to a new team hoping, you know, with the Mercedes engine that things would be good for, you know, all the downforce and had to loot, be lost on the car to then, you know, be struggling again 
for him to be towards the back of the grid. Yeah, well, ironically, it's not the engine, is it? It's the Mercedes, the lower rate cars that we've been hearing about that now uh, now suffering as a result rather than the high rate car. And, and the rake is something I think that's going to come up. The rake of a car, the, the angle of the car, so how much the rear of the car sticks up from the from the floor and how much the front of the car points to towards the racetrack, um, sort of the angle that is inclined as the car's driving around. That's what the rake is. But I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about that this season because it's become such a, a, a popular talking point because of the rule regulations. It's because it's the major thing that's changed. You know, the, the, mm. the Red Bulls and Alpha Tauris and that t- traditionally have a higher rake and they're now flying, whereas, you know, the Mercedes, which tended to have a lower one, mm. you know, they're, they're not as quick as what they used to be. You know, and Aston Martin, which copied the 2019 Mercedes last year, <laughs> yeah, had, a, had an identical philosophy car-wise after many years of following the Red Bull philosophy mm. to then now be struggling because the Red Bull philosophy is looking like it's the best philosophy. <laughs> couldn't make it up. Couldn't make it up, could you? Well, it was an amazing first race um, that we enjoyed so much and uh, really look forward to Imola uh, in in these in these gaps. When we don't have a race uh, on this episode, um, we're going to be doing special episodes. And this, this week is our first, I guess you could call, special episode of the series where we invite a guest on to talk about things um, relating to F1 and sort of taking an outside-the-box look at it all. And uh, let's pop on to Zoom now to introduce you to our first guest on Around the Outside. All right, a very exciting time now here on Around the Outside podcast. We welcome our first guest since we've begun this a crazy venture, me and Chris uh, here on the, Around the Outside. Um, Sarah Merritt, she's a McLaren Formula One super fan. And we thought we would delve into the world of what it takes to be a Formula One super fan, because I think me and Chris count ourselves as pretty passionate fans, but I reckon Sarah takes that to a whole <laughs> new level. Um, how are you doing, Sarah, first of all? I am good. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm not sure. You made me sound a bit crazy there. Let's, <laughs> let's wind that one back. But yeah, I, I am a Formula One super fan for my sins. And uh, and yeah, good to meet up with another two of you. No, a pleasure to have you here on, on the podcast. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, it's been... Um, something of a journey for McLaren in the last few years being a McLaren fan oh yes um but before we get on to that what firstly drew you to Formula One and and the sport itself well um I think basically I I was I was a girl that was born to a dad who really wished he'd had a son um (laughs) so someday watching the races with my dad sat on the sofa um was was kind of part of my childhood um and my dad loved British teams and British drivers. So as well as shouting out for Nigel Mansell, I can remember watching those those Senna Prost battles and all of that kind of thing around that time. So, uh, so yeah, McLaren were always really my favourite team, um, but it really stepped up for me more um, after Jensen won the world championship with Braun and then went to McLaren. That's when it really kicked in and went up a notch for me. Before that, I was just a silent observer um, but then then it moved up a level to me being full on wanting to go to races. And, and back when I was a kid, I think my dad had always given me the impression and probably due to the money he earned and things like that, that going to an F1 race wasn't something we did. We were people that watched it on telly. Mm. And what I quickly found out and, and what raised this up another level is 
it's cheaper to go to somewhere like Barcelona than it is to go to Silverstone. So mm -hmm. suddenly I found I had this, this world open to me, thanks to Ryanair, that I could go off and, and go to a lot of races. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So what was the first race you ever watched? Oh, God, that's a really hard question. I'm too little to remember that, Chris. Um, I, I don't I don't remember the, the details of a race because I sat on my dad's knee watching it with him when I was really little but I do remember the noises of the cars which was obviously a lot louder back then I remember my dad being very passionate and shouting at the television um, and, and and in later years then when we saw replays of things I remembered him talking about it so, oh you know remember watching that race and of course I'm too little to remember that um, <laughs> So yeah, so so I can't give you a specific on that one, um, but the pa the passion was there. Mm. And looking behind you now, of course, you have lots of merch, and um, you know, as as a as a big fan of Formula One as you are, um, yeah, there's lots going on for for people. Obviously, you can't can't see this. Um, it's there's so many helmets. You're wearing a McLaren T-shirt. We've got um, photos with of people that you've met in in the paddocks and and people as you pass by. At what moment, Sarah, did you realise you were becoming a bit more than just a fan that maybe me and Chris would count ourselves as, and 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 getting all of this merchandise and stuff like that. So one of the one of the first races I went to with my husband was was Valencia, um, not exciting on television apart from when Mark Webber flipped over, but mm. a very nice circuit to visit to go on holiday. Perhaps if your husband's not as into Formula One as you are, <laughs> because the beach is there. It's a lovely place to visit, and all of the drivers stayed in one hotel. And we quickly found that out as we walked along and saw fans waiting outside and saw cars. All of the drivers were in the same hotel along by the beach where there were a set of restaurants. And, and for me, then I became obsessed with the idea I could actually meet Jensen Button who, <laughs> and Lewis Hamilton, who I'd always wanted to meet. Um, and I remember my husband going, I'm really hungry, Sarah. Can we go now? And I'm like, I've got a bag of sweets. Eat them. <laughs> <laughs> we kept waiting outside this hotel. Um, and then I made him go back the next night and stand outside this hotel. And lo and behold, we met Martin Whitmarsh. Um, Jensen came along, Lewis came along and was incredibly patient whilst I rooted around in my bag for a Sharpie pen <laughs> and to find to find the right photo in the pack of photos I printed off that I had with me. Um, incredibly patient. So so I suddenly felt like I'd, I'd, I'd almost discovered a way to be a bigger fan and meet people and do things. Um, then I think social media has, has been a huge part of this as well. Mm. So a lot of the people I'm friends with and that I travel with now, I met on Twitter. I'd never met them in real life before. Um, there's an 80-20 rule on who's, who's nice and who's not, but, yeah, but pretty much, pretty much everyone, everyone's good. So, so that kicks in. We all talk about it. Obviously, the, the merch is advertised, you know. I see, you'll see some of my helmets, like the Jensen Button Braun helmet. I got that signed by him. I carry them around in my bag till I meet the driver to get it signed. I don't want to pay for a signed helmet. I want to be <laughs> no. there when it happens. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's that kind of thing now. Now I know I can, I can go to a race. I might be able to get better access. And I think also McLaren have played their part in that, especially with social media. So let, mm. me, let me show you my card. This is my being James Bond. This is my McLaren papaya plus membership card and there's about 30 people that have got this in the world it's made mm. of carbon it was made in the factory and if you look at the back of it it's the same color and paint as the car yeah. um and basically they give these away to people who 
who are a super fan, who they see following them, traveling, going the extra mile, and this is how they reward you. Um, so I've been very lucky now. I get invited to the car launch nearly every year. You know, it's, it's a real pinch yourself moment. This year it was Zoom, but previously I've been into the factory mm. and been to the car launch. Um, and, and we get involved with a lot of things on social media with McLaren. This year they sent us a cap when the new merchandise came out. So we get given things like that. But it's, it's, it's that two-way recognition. Yes, you've supported mm. us through through the hard times, the Honda years, as we call them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but to reward you back for that, they're, they're then giving something back to us as well. So I carry this wherever I go, sadly, in my purse, because I'm so proud of it. <laughs> I would flaunt it. It's, it's like a Nando's oh, yeah, black card, but for McLaren. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> incredible. That is incredible. So um, how often do you tend to get the phrase, I don't understand how you love F1, it's so boring? The cars just go around in circles. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. And the best bit for me, Chris, is as a girl, when you go to somewhere like Silverstone, where the, you know, maybe there was a few more Neanderthal beer swigging people than, than there might yeah, be other ways. <laughs> they tend to go, you're a girl. You don't know anything about motorsport. And I love that because then I'd love to just sit and explain about DRS to them because... <laughs> I studied engineering and and have done a degree in electronics. So so you're not going to get me on the techie stuff. I'm, I understand that too. Being an IT person, I love the geeky stuff. So the tech rules and all of that kind of thing, you know, looking to see whether they've changed the floor and where the extra elements and strokes are on the side. I love all of that. Um, but yeah, I get that a lot. Formula One's boring. Why sit on the straight? You just see a car go meow. You see a lot more on television. But when you feel the noise and you feel the noise of the start going through your chest, you know, that's that's mm. when you know you're, you're in the right place there, being in the yeah. race. Yeah. And, and I guess challenging that stereotype uh, amongst the community that you're in, it must be something of uh, a, a, a privilege and a pleasure to, to do that and dispel that myth and uh, totally blow people away. <laughs> It, it is, Jake. I, I have a smug mode sometimes when I do that. You know, I think, oh, yeah, that was good. That was good. But um, there's a lot more girls on Twitter. I say girls, ladies, females, whatever the right term is to use. Mm. A lot of my friends on Twitter who we talk about, there's there's so many more people on there. And, and we're more of a community. If you look at all the McLaren fans that talk on there before a race, everybody's tweeting each other and that kind of thing. There's so much more to it now. If you're someone that unfortunately can't afford to go to a race, and let's face it, in the last few years with COVID and whatever mm. going on, I haven't been anywhere either. Um, you can get just as much buzz from being watching someone else's journey, sharing photos with them, learning about their trip so that maybe you go. Um, a big one I did was I went to the 1000th Grand Prix in China. Um, wow. And we booked, we booked a whole trip around that so that for my husband, there was the non-F1 side. <laughs> yeah. um, I was very lucky. I stayed, I stayed in the Doubletree Hilton where the team was staying. So I was having breakfast in the morning and Carlos and, and his guys were sat in the corner having a Casually. huddle. The Sky Sports team are in the same hotel as well. And I've been to a lot of races now. So they're like, hi, Sarah. You know, <laughs> so that's that's quite nice when you go into a bar and Simon Lazenby's there or, or Ted Kravitz and they, they talk to you. That's great because all we want to talk about is Formula One. So brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going, going somewhere like that, I've been able to write an article on that that's been posted on a, a blog online and share that information with other people so that if they're going to travel to a race, they know where the good bars are, where's cheap to eat, where's a good station to get off at, you know, mm. all of those kind of things. So 
so it's more it's more about the travel as well as the f1 for me now i'll admit um and i'm really missing that at the moment yeah of course (laughs) i bet yeah no i i think i mean me and chris have only ever been to silverstone once so we did the full camping weekend did it it rain uh yes yeah (laughs) Uh, we we we, we famously had a two-man tent as, as we know that's that's the first mistake and then because chris is, is quite a tall lad uh his legs were yeah. out of the tent during a thunderstorm i my uh, legs got soaked <laughs> it wasn't a good time yeah. for him but uh yeah even, me- even when i've even when i've camped on my own at silverstone i've got a six-man tent with two bedrooms in it i used to take my clothes i used to take my clothes in a suit bag and hang them up on a clothes rail at the back because i had so much room mm. so the key to silverstone camping is take the biggest tent you can get yeah. Then you've got lots of space when it's raining for you and your friends to get together, have a barbecue under a gazebo and make yeah. sure you're dry. We learned that lesson. I mean, we, we, we did quite well with a two-man tent. Plus, then we had all our stuff. We used those extra pillows <laughs> and, like, all our camping stuff was, like, in the um, awning and, like, my legs were outside of that as well. And yeah. It, it worked. It worked somehow for five days. <laughs> yeah, but I bet, I bet it was a bit cold and unpleasant, you know. Yeah, a little bit. And it really, the temperature really does drop at night there as well. I used to find mm. I wanted an extra cover on top of the sleeping bag and all of that kind of thing. Well, you've been there now. You've done yeah. Silverstone. You've ticked it off. So yeah. maybe it's time for you two to branch out and yeah. try somewhere else. We'd, we'd love to do like, you know, Europe and uh, foreign races and all that. So hopefully we Absolutely. can things get back to normal. But um, you were mentioning just before about the, mm. as you call them, the Honda years in inverted commas. Um, <laughs> tell us tell us about that as a, as a fan, seeing obviously the success of Hamilton and sort of, you know, the McLaren being a competitive team in sort of a few years after that to then have yeah. such a fall from grace going to the Honda power units. Um, how was that living through that as a fan, especially as a super fan like you? it was really difficult because it crept up on you and you didn't realize until sort of four years in that you'd you'd, you'd sunk so low Mm. um and it's hard when you love a team and you want to support them and you want to be positive but then you're seeing them take a grid drop that means that they're you know 75 places back and all of the rest of it you remember during that period where we had the stupid grid drops where they kept adding them up and adding them up yeah um you know and, and that was hard and hard for me as well because i've got to know members of the team and you know they're working their, their, their nuts off. They're working just as hard as, as the people that are winning. Don't ever think that losing means you've not put in the effort. It means you're working harder as well. Um, and you've got no motivation then, and that's tough. So if you've got a load of fans having a go at you on Twitter, that's not the right way to be. So even during those tough years, I tried to be really positive. Um, I was quite lucky during that time. I, I was writing for a blog. Um, and I went to winter testing a few times and I was able to interview Eric Boulier and sit down with him. Mm. And he was such a nice guy and gave me a lot of time. I felt myself feeling sorry for him being in that role, being in that position as the figurehead of the team, mm. because it, it was kind of happening around him. And I felt like he didn't have the power to make a difference. Um, and it obviously wasn't until Zach's come in and they, they changed to Renault. It's difficult. As a fan, I could understand the premise of what they were saying. Going back to Mercedes, it's hard. You're a customer again. And, and, and I felt that the premise of what they were trying to do was right. By going with Honda, they knew that they might be able to, to make a step up. And of course, what a shame now, or well not a shame, but we've seen Red Bull successfully working with Honda now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it, it, it was just going to take that many more years. But I think, unfortunately, the damage had been done with the relationship with McLaren, mm. a bit like when we used to see Cyril and, and Christian Horner talking about Renault. You knew that that, that relationship was, was at its limit there. Yeah. You know, they're not going to yeah. get on so well. So probably moving away from Honda was the right thing to do. Uh, Renault was a good step and a, a, probably a quick fix. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I'm just really interested to see this year how it goes with Mercedes, you know. Yeah. I always worry that as a customer, they'll only let you turn it up to 10 when they can turn it up to 11, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not supposed to be allowed, but, but I do, you know, always think about that. So, so yeah, hopefully the podiums of last year and the, and the progress we're seeing, they feel like a bit of a reward, you know, for sticking yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah. It seems like you're on an upward trajectory now. Uh, it very much yes. seems that way. And yes. I think the power unit has a lot to do with that. And um, many people regard the chassis, you know, McLaren chassis, one of the best on the grid. So hopefully yeah, yeah. with that, that coupled together, that would be, uh, that would be really good. Um, so for McLaren, obviously we've got the new regulations coming up in next year, which is going to totally radicalize the cars and everything. Um, how do you rate chances for the team this season? And then maybe going forward further on, well, I suppose it all depends on, on how long they develop this car for and when they make the switch to developing next year's. Let's face it, this year's car is a Renault body where they've managed mm. to stick a Mercedes engine in. So I, if it's if it's this good when it's probably a halfway house and they weren't able to, to have the full development that they would have liked, I would imagine then next year's going to be great. We know Mercedes HPP, who are going to be supplying the engine, are very good at this look at what they did the last time there was the huge regulation change you know mm. um mm. not that i'm bored with them winning but i like it now it's a bit more mixed up i want yeah. a bit more i want a bit more randomness and this last race gave us some battles on track and mm. right until the end you didn't know if it was max or lewis that was going to win mm. great you know um so yeah i think mclaren's chances being the professional outfit they are the fact that andreas is in there now and and i understand he's great to work with and great at organizing this He's got the right people in the right roles to do this. I'd say their chances are very good for, for the New Year eggs next year. Very optimistic as a, as a McLaren fan then. Exciting time to be. You're back, sort of coming back up, up sort of the, the lows you've had. And, and yeah. it looks like you're going up to peak now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you think we had the, we had the random podium the year before with Carlos, which mm. he didn't get to stand on the, on the actual podium before. He got it afterwards, didn't he? Yeah. Um, then we had two podiums last year, one for Carlos and one for Lando. So I'm like, you know, three this year. Lovely. That'd be nice. Keep going that way. <laughs> yeah. Danny, Danny Rick's mean, uh, on a man on a mission. So, you know, that's good. Yeah. So he's fun. just had a, a new bet with, um, with Zach Brown, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. Zach's promised him to drive that, uh, I think it's 87 uh, NASCAR from Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, that's it. See, I, yeah. see, I, know, I know Zach has a, a garage full of very nice vehicles. Mm. And all of them are championship winners. He doesn't buy a car in. He doesn't just buy a heritage car in. It has to be the one that run, won the championship or has won something big. So, uh, so yeah. So maybe next year's the 22 McLaren. Well, this is what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine being Danny Rick and having all of those cars in your bargaining power, you know. It's better than a tattoo, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, just a, just a tad. <laughs> um, so um, we've we got a few minutes left on the podcast. Uh, as a super fan, of course, we mentioned earlier about your memorabilia. So just talk us through some of what you've collected over the sort of the last decade that you've that you've uh, been literally traveling the world, I guess. 
let me let me show you a few things so some things i buy myself and some things i get sent by people which is great mm. so uh if you just describe my, my... describe these for people listening as well yes yeah, sure these are my sochi russian dolls or matryoshka as i believe they're called um my friend dina who lives in russia sent me these from the russian grand prix so i have a full set of these i think i think they're fabulous let's face it if you're going to russia you want some russian dolls of course with, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this is my daniel ricardo shui that i've been <laughs> sent by one of my friends in australia no that's not a, a strange mark on it that you can see there I actually did get it signed by daniel ricardo so nice uh, this is a this is a stubby that you can put your can of drink in and uh, and have a shui with so uh, i thought that was <laughs> pretty awesome. good i know i know uh, i wasn't a red bull fan but i still thought that was a pretty cool bit of merch yeah there's some there's some things i i get every year i always buy a cap and I always try to get it signed. So here's a here's a Carlos cap from the Spanish Grand Prix, complete with chili pepper on the back. And uh, yeah, got, got Carlos to sign that. Um, what else can I show you? This one's quite cool. My friend Andy bought me this back from Japan. So when you're in Japan, you can buy a hood that's shaped and coloured like the helmet of, of any driver you want. Uh -huh. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put this on because I'd look silly, but uh, <laughs> but. This is a, a number 22, so clearly a, a Jensen version Jensen. that you can get. So uh, there's so much stuff. Japan's really on my list of places I'd love to go. Mm. There's so much stuff you can get out there. Um, and then, I guess, helmet-wise, um, I've got a cupboard behind me full of full of helmets. Um, this Lando Norris one I got signed at the car launch that I actually went to last year. And on one of the McLaren Unboxed videos I shared from that car launch, they caught me getting my helmet signed by Lando. Mm. So that's pretty cool um and yeah i guess my favorite one would always be my jensen one from the brawn era yeah um which which i've got signed i've also got some pieces of car this oh. is an anti-roll bar this is an anti-roll bar drop link from a mclaren um and they gave these away to us as part of a membership kit a few years ago mm. but i've got a wheel from a red bull i've got gear cogs from williams which are up the top there wow uh, this is a brake pedal this is a brake pedal from Jensen's <laughs> Honda. You wow. can see it's got JB on it. And then I yeah. carried that around for a year before I then saw him again to get mm. him to sign it. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I... Uh, You're just a walking car, but all just like deconstructed. <laughs> well, my husband always says, are you trying to build a car bit by bit? That's that's his joke. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, do, I really do love car parts. And, and like the gear cogs, let me, let me get one of these down to show you. They, uh, they're quite nice to make a coaster out of. Yeah. So when you go, if you go to the Williams factory and you go to look around the conference centre there, they've got all their heritage cars there. And if you haven't done that, anyone listening, I'd recommend you do. They sell car parts in their shop at the end. So a gear cog like this from a Williams is £10 to buy. So, you know, it's it's Very not reasonable. mega bucks to get a piece of an F1 car that's been used that yeah. they're, they're selling off. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, I really, I really love anything strange or obscure I can buy when I go to races. Um, yeah. And, so and yeah, that's about it. And quickly to round off, then what what's the next race you hope to go to? Oh God, <laughs> that's really hard because a lot of people are going to Silverstone this year because it's open and they're saying they're going to let the fans in. But I've been working from home for a year year now, and I'm a bit nervous about being out in crowds because I haven't mm. been anywhere. So yeah. I don't know how I'm going to react to that. So I don't know if I'll end up doing a last minute Silverstone. Um, we did have a trip booked to Baku, but that got cancelled, and now they're not letting fans in this year. 
So I'm not I'm not really sure when the next F1 race might be, but yeah. let's just say at the end of this year, if if I get a good bonus, maybe I might try and go somewhere <laughs> hot. That's so it. you know, may, maybe Abu Dhabi. Yeah, lovely. Hey. I love that. Uh, well, um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and telling us all about uh, McLaren fandom. Uh, it's been great to hear about everything. Um, we'll have you again sometime soon. No worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you. Well, so great to have our first guest on Around the Outside, Sarah Merritt, who is a self-professed McLaren Formula One superfan. Um, telling us all about her love for the team, the trials and tribulations that the team has faced, and, and whilst being a fan throughout these last few years and the the Honda years, as, as Sarah called it. Um, but yeah, great to hear her experience of Formula One and how she's travelled the globe and and all of that. And uh, if you um, want to check out the podcast of their own as well, they've got their own uh, McLaren um, sort of fan podcast as well. We'll put a uh, link in the uh, in in this in the post of the podcast for you to listen to that as well that Sarah's involved with and also on social media we'll, we'll tell you all about it and where to go to find that um, but yeah Chris yeah amazing to see all that memorabilia and for her to talk through that it was quite quite enjoyable to see how much she's collected yeah absolutely my eyes were just glowing I was like a little kid in the toy <laughs> shop looking at it <laughs> <laughs> But no, it was, it was it was really good, um, and we are very excited to have christened this podcast with its first guest. And uh, yeah, for McLaren, just to quickly touch on that, she thinks Sarah thinks you know that that, that they are turning corner. It seems that they are. Um, what do you think? You agree? I do agree. I mean, if you remember yeah. back to my predictions, I, I said McLaren are going to come second this year. Mm, so yes, um, you did. You know. And uh, I think if you remember, I, I made an agreement with you. If Aston Martin were to come second, yes. mm. I'd be buying you a Nando's. So, Jake, if McLaren <laughs> gets second, what, what's my reward? I'm going to buy you a car. No, I'm not going to buy you a car. I'll replicate that. I'll okay. buy you a Nando's. So if Aston Martin comes second, well, hang on. What if they come joint second? How about that? Yeah, well, that then, can't happen though, because yeah, well, no, there'll be countback. Count yeah, there? exactly, countback. To which hopefully oh. McLaren will win. <laughs> Damn. Would well, it be funny though if they both come second, <laughs> and we both just bought each other Nando's and you pay for my Nando's, I pay for. Miss the point. <laughs> What's the point of doing that? Um, but it's been really great to uh, do this episode of Round the Outside. Thanks so much for joining us and listening to us this week. Next week on the podcast. Of course, we've got another gap until Imola, so we've got another week to wait until we head over there. Um, we're going to be joined by another guest here on the podcast, and it's all going to be about F1 esports. And we're going to be talking to none other than the current esports Formula One champion, Jarno Otmir. Uh, he knows a thing or two about the uh, virtual track and uh, racecraft on the Xbox or PC or whatever your console is. And um, yeah, certainly knows how to extract the most out of his out of his car um and also he's gonna be talking to us about before his esports career what he how he was racing in karting and some other championships before he kind of ventured into that world so it's going to be really exciting to hear all about that on the podcast so i'm really looking forward to it
And obviously, if you guys got any questions that you'd like us to put to uh, Yano, then obviously, please do send them in and we'll ask him uh, what, what you guys want to hear. Yeah, great idea. Yeah, I'm sure um, there might be some questions about how can I go faster on F1 2020? What's the secret? What do I do? I mean, that's what I always want to know anyway, because I only ever seem to get to a certain point and then there's these people online yeah. and they just overtake me every single time. My, my, my comedy side to Jake is I always tell him to press the accelerator button. Yeah, very funny. Yes, I'm not holding the brake button whilst I'm accelerating. Yes, ha, ha, ha. Oh, well, until next week, uh, we're really looking forward to that. Until next week, um, take care and um, have a great Easter from all of us here at Around the Outside. Take care. Goodbye. <laughs>